We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department. Back to another edition of the Budding Heads podcast on Rams Talk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. Uh, as always, I'm here with Johnny Gomez. Johnny, welcome back. You, you missed last week after the win, and now you're back for a loss. What's up with that? Uh, I, I think you're insinuating that I'm bad luck, and I'm t- inclined to believe you. <laughs> it's funny. We, we had Kev on last week. Uh, you, you were dealing with power issues. And Kev was pretty negative, honestly. And I, I was trying to be more positive because, um, you know, we were coming off a win. It was nice. The Bears are not that bad. They're not a bad team. They almost beat the Saints this week. Uh, but Kev was like, I don't know. There, there's a lot of issues. Like, uh, I'm really concerned about the Miami game next week. And lo and behold, unfortunately, he was right. The Rams lost uh, twenty-eight to seventeen in a game that had all the makings of a trap game, uh, and we got trapped. Now, Johnny, to toot my own horn a little bit here, I did have the Rams losing Miami in the preseason. I didn't make an official prediction on the podcast because it was a post-game podcast, uh, and I had the Rams at five and three after going into the bye. So I'm just gonna say. Uh, if I, I think I deserve a lot of credit here for accurately predicting, uh, if the Rams weren't five and three, I would say, well, not no July predictions really matter, but in the way of sports media, you only, you only talk about your old takes when they're right. So I'm bringing it back up. I was right. Yay me. No, I mean, you, you did call it in all fairness. You did. And I'm pretty sure I said that the Rams are going to win. And I'm more than certain that if I was on last week, I was going to be overly hyped on the Dolphins game. Not that I was going to discredit the Dolphins because I 
did realize it was the makings of a trap game. I think we all kind of realized that, but um, I'm not going to lie. I probably would have said that the Rams are going to dominate the game. Yeah, I, I would have picked them too. Uh, I would not have uh, continued my preseason pick of the Dolphins there, but hey, it happens. Um, and if you want to look at the positives, the Rams have three losses and two of them are out of conference which will not affect our playoff positioning, which, I mean, uh, if we're going to lose four games all year, let it be the games against the AFC East, although I think uh, I'm, I'm not very worried about the other two. Uh, although, actually, we'll, we'll get to the Patriots in a couple weeks. But um, anyways, so before before we dive into the game, this podcast is coming out on, on Tuesday, uh, the trade deadline day, also election day. I, I, I don't want to get into the election, Johnny, but, like, what the hell is the NFL doing not moving the date of the trade deadline? Like, I, I feel like I know they probably don't want to do it on a Monday because there's games, but I don't know. I feel like like in sports, trade lines are a big deal, and you kind of dominate the headlines more than you would any other week except for maybe on game days. But it just, it just seems kind of dumb because they're ob- like obviously things are going to get buried in uh, – what is going to be a probably a dumb day in media, no matter who you're supporting. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you because <laughs> you, you know that the focus on any media is going to be centered around election day. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you move it to tomorrow? At least I think that would be very important, but I think that the NFL wanted to stick to a schedule. I mean, when even when you're thinking about the NFL schedule that's been kind of messed up over the past couple of weeks due to COVID-19, they still are trying to stick as much to the schedule as possible. So maybe it's just NFL culture. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I don't know this for sure, but I'm. Pre- it's probably always week eight, the trade deadline. So. That's what it is. That's what they're going for. That's what they're going with. But yeah, it just it just seems a little silly. Now I I want to preface this because I'm sure a lot of people will be listening to this podcast. Uh, well, I'm not sure a lot of people will listen, but of the people that will be listening, I'm sure plenty of them will be listening to this after the trade of the line happens. So I will put a time sta- time stamp in the description. You could skip ahead to when we actually talk about the game and. Derek most likely will be back later in the week to talk about what actually went down if the Rams make a move. Now, I I mean, quick yes or no, Johnny. Do you think they make a move on deadline day? There's already been some deals that happened today with some other teams, but the Rams have not been involved. Uh, no, I, I'd be entirely surprised if there's any moves whatsoever. And even Les Need said earlier last week that there probably won't be a big splash. So maybe he's considering some smaller transaction that includes us getting like a, a draft pick, like maybe not even a high draft pick, but like a sixth or seventh or maybe at the highest fifth round draft pick. Yeah. I, I don't think the Rams have a ton of trade capital that they can do. They, there's some certain, certainly some players, guys like Gerald Everett and Josh Reynolds come to mind. But even then, like, I can't imagine that they'll get a ton of value there. And for them to get or to to receive another player like a Ramsey deal is probably not even probably. It's definitely not in the cards just because of the cap space alone. So and they've already gutted their their NFL draft picks for 2021. So yeah, I I'd be entirely surprised if there's any trades at all. Yeah, the the Ramsey deal also was not a deadline deal. The the Rams I I I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Les Need's been a huge deadline trade guy. But Dante Fowler was around the deadline, I believe. So he he's probably the one that really comes to mind. Um, but. I, I yeah I don't see them moving 
dra- moving any big draft picks to get somebody uh, because, you know, as you mentioned, the cap is a problem. And to solve your cap problems, you need to draft chief young players that are productive. Uh, something that the Rams have, have done to a fairly uh, successful degree when they actually have picks. But a problem in the last couple of years has been they've traded for Keep to Lee, Marcus Peters, Jalen Ramsey, Dante Fowler, all Brandon Cooks. Uh, all Sammy Watkins, all guys that have brought value to the team, but um, as a result, we haven't been able to get as many good young players as we'd hoped. Although we, we, given the limited amount of picks we have, I'd say we've done a fairly successful job. But yeah, I don't see a big splash coming. Like you mentioned Reynolds and Everett, who are the two obvious trade targets on our team. I, I wouldn't be shocked if one of them or both got dealt. The only problem to me is based on what we've seen from those guys and the fact that they're in contract years, I, I don't really expect you, and, and based on what we've already seen teams getting in the market right now around the deadline for players that are probably a little more valuable, I feel like at best you're going to get a fifth-round pick for these guys. And even that, I don't even know if that's going to be on the table for either of them unless the team's really desperate and really needs help. I, and at that point, is it worth it? Like, because you're you're obviously pushing for the playoffs. Both those guys have value, although uh, based on last week's game against Miami, we might be better off without Gerald Everett on the team, but that's another topic. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It would, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if a deal happens, but, like, I, I feel like they're not going to just give away Gerald Everett or Josh Reynolds. I think they'd rather just ride it out uh, unless they could get a decent fifth for it. I like. I don't think you make that move for a six unless those players are vocally unhappy and their agents are pushing for the deals. Which I don't know if we we'd hear about that in the media, but I, I we haven't heard anything. So I don't know. I I don't really see any trade happening either. Yeah. All right. Hey, we made it easy on myself. We're at the ten minute mark of the podcast. Let's talk about the Dolphins game. So uh, Johnny, I'm going to start with this. What the fuck? Like what? That that was really did this game really happen or was I having a fever dream? I I wish you were dreaming. I I certainly wish you were. Uh and I wish I was dreaming too. But <laughs> I think uh, the case. I I think we have reached this year's version of the Tampa Bay game from last year in that it, it was a very different game, but like you just look at the the to- the totality of the sixty minutes of football, and the Rams had four hundred seventy one yards of total offense. The Dolphins had one hundred forty five. The Rams had the ball for thirty six minutes. The Dolphins had the ball for twenty three minutes. The Rams had thirty one first downs. The Dolphins had eight, and. For basically the entirety of the second half, it did not feel like a game that the Rams had any chance of actually winning. Like, has I don't think a game like this has ever happened in, in just that insane lopsided offensive performance and just they lost by double digits. Uh, uh, I saw Cam DeSilva at Rams Wire put together some uh, some like a an article full of just crazy stats from this game. They're the second team in NFL history to gain 450 yards in offense, allow less than 150 yards, and lose. The only other time that happened was, naturally, the Jets in 2000, uh, who lost to the Ravens, who I believe won the Super Bowl that year. Well, if nothing else, maybe the Dolphins win the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Although uh, it's funny too, because like there's just there's no takeaway about Tua after this game. There's it, there's there's none. He threw for ninety yards. He didn't have to do anything. Uh, it's not even like he didn't make mistakes because he did ha- have a turnover. Um, it, <laughs> the announcers were like gushing over his one touchdown pass that was like four yards. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's just like there, there's, there's no takeaway from this game. It's uh, he, he looked okay, 
but he he wasn't asked to do anything. It's a game like the Rams had triple their offensive yardage of their opponent and lost by double digits. Like that's insane. That's just absolutely fucking insane. Uh, like this game just made no sense. Just to kind of add a little bit to that, I, I was I was laughing because of how much the the commentators were absolutely loving Tua, and I, it just made zero sense to me. You know, I was thinking, don't get me wrong, it was a special moment for him for when he got that touchdown, rookie getting a touchdown. It was uh, a good even, pass too, in his credit. It was to his credit, but it was also against a cornerback that the Rams don't play at all and David Long Um, so if Jalen Ramsey's in this game there's no way that that touchdown even happens Um, but that's beside the point It, it just it was amazing to me how much the the commentators were just kind of bullshitting the entire game in saying that Tua was like it almost sounded like if you were to judge based on the commentators talking that Tua won this game and he was nowhere near the reason why the Dolphins won this game. But uh, enough of that. There was just so much. Pretty much, uh, it was funny. I was talking to a couple buddies of mine about this, and they were saying basically everything that could possibly go wrong in this game, other than maybe defensively, went wrong. Like, there was no relief in sight in this game. And um, kudos to the defense because as awful as the Rams were in pretty much every aspect of this game, the defense really stepped up. And, again, without one of their uh, key leaders on this defense in Ramsey. So, yeah, I'm just – I'm stunned. I'm stunned on how – little the offense accomplished and yet how much they've accomplished at the same time it it was just that kind of game (laughs) so so look this is coming out on election day everyone needs to be de-stressed a little let's 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 start with the positives of this game which is as you mentioned uh just a not not granted it's, it's miami it's a rookie quarterback playing in his first game but a guy who i know you love as a prospect so it's not like he was a high first-round pick. It's not like they were playing against uh, whoever the fuck the Cowboys quarterback was that played this week. I don't even remember his name. But <laughs> like it's not like they were playing against that guy. They were playing against the second quarterback drafted in this year's draft. And so far, the guy is drafted ahead of him and behind him. Tua and her – or not sorry. Uh, Burrow and Herbert have been pretty damn good. So it's shaping up to be a good quarterback class. We'll see with Tua. It's obviously too early, but uh, to to, my, to get to my my bigger point here, they just absolutely allowed nothing the entire game. Uh, it's not like the Dolphins. Yeah, they weren't trying to like air it out. They're playing conservatively, but you can teams can play conservatively and score touchdowns if the rushing running attack is playing well uh, and if they're being successful on short passes and the dolphins were successful on literally nothing. They had one good drive in the game. It was the only drive out of, I think they had like 14 drives that had more than one first down on the drive. And the entirety of this drive, which I scored a touchdown on was 33 yards because that was the only time I believe in this game that they crossed the 50 or sorry, there were two times. One of them they started on their opponent's one yard line. So those were the only times I think they got the ball past midfield. And it was a 33 yard drive in their defense. It was a very nice drive. They attacked David Long, uh, who was really the only blemish on the defense, I would say, in this game. Even Kenny Young had like a 74 on Pro Football Focus. So that's when you know that it was just a really damn good performance by this defense. Uh, just completely shutting down everything the Dolphins tried to do except for on that one drive and uh they had they had plenty of three and outs they they really just they couldn't do anything every part of our defense looked good it's kind of crazy that this is a game where we we found out Jalen Ramsey wasn't playing after the first play and it didn't affect the loss at all uh everybody stepped up 
and played well. And yeah, it's if there's one big takeaway about the team as far as positives go going into the bye week, it's that uh, our defense should be able to keep us in games with anybody, assuming that um, we can get pass rush and uh, stops from the linebackers. And if they play like they did in this game, we will. But uh, we'll see. At, at worst, we have a top 10 defense, I would say. Easily. Easily after that. Um, it, it just It's amazing on how well they did. And it, it just shows moving forward that these guys can step up, even including guys like Kenny Young. I was actually really impressed about a couple plays that Kenny Young did. Now, was he perfect? Of course not. But... Um, all things considered, he did significantly well. Of course, again, this is the Miami Dolphins team that has a rookie quarterback, but even the ground game, I mean, they're not special either, but you wouldn't expect guys like Kenny Young and Micah Kaiser to step up in the way they did, and kudos to them because they did a damn good job. Yeah, and, and it's the Dolphins, but also you talk about the Dolphins, their wins are, well, their wins aren't good, but they beat in Jacksonville, the 49ers, the Jets, and us. But their losses are to the Patriots, the Bills, and the Seahawks. So it's it's not like like I think they're clearly a, a like I I would you say they're worse than the Bears? Because I don't know, I don't think I would. I'd say they're about on par with the Bears. Uh, so I I mean I I don't know if that's saying much either, but. Uh, it, it, it does mean something that, uh, in a game where the offense was so putrid and terrible that the defense really just kept them in the game. I mean, if the defense played average, we lose this game or the Dolphins score 50 points. Probably, uh, we get, we get shelled if the defense is an average game, but they came out and played like an elite unit and wouldn't let the Dolphins do anything. And I would say two players that really, uh, impressed me, one of them, Darius Williams uh, continues to be a really bright spot on this defense. I think he's pretty clearly the second-best corner on the team, pretty clearly better than Troy Hill this year to me. And this one makes me really happy is, how about Taylor Rapp? Had two huge plays in this game. He forced a fumble on Miles Gaskin, which uh, the Rams turned around and turned into a touchdown for the Dolphins. And he had another huge third-down stop I don't remember who was on, but the receiver caught the ball and Rap just kind of popped it out uh, and made an incompletion. He, I, I feel really confident in how he's been playing in the last couple of games. He's a guy who started the season just straight up benched for Jordan Fuller and probably will be benched for Jordan Fuller again when he comes back from injury. But uh, clearly, as we've seen, the Rams employ a lot of defensive backs on this defense and he's going to play. He's going to be on the field. I mean, we saw Nick Scott playing in some of these games. So uh, even when Fuller comes back, I think we're going to have a nice three-headed monster at safety with him, with John Johnson, uh, and with Rapp. And it, it's good to feel good about this guy because we loved him last year, uh, and he sucked for the first couple of games, let's be honest, but it seems like he's gotten back to form. Yeah, I'll certainly agree with that, that he was not at his best, but – Perhaps that also says how good Jordan Fuller really is, which is interesting considering how a low-round draft pick, which I, if memory serves me correct, he was a sixth-rounder? Yep. Yeah. Uh, to find a sixth-rounder and have such awesome starting capabilities, that's a fucking win already. Mm-hmm. I mean, ha- having it just right there, even if, even if Fuller does nothing else for the rest of the season, uh, for the rest of his career, I still say that's a win. Just because for a six rounder, you can just as easily cut the guy, and I don't think anyone would lose sleep over it because you don't expect much. And the Rams may have very well have found a gem. Now let's just hope that he comes back from his injury and continues to develop. But um, I don't mind this. I, I don't mind having a sort of battle between Rapp and Fuller for that starting role because that just that's just going to push both of these guys to be better and um I don't I'm not sure when Fuller's coming back um hopefully 
after the bye week, but I'm not entirely sure on that. Yeah, he. I, I'm not. I'm not sure either. I don't think we've gotten really a clear answer on it yet. It wasn't an injury expected to keep him out for the rest of the season, unlike Terrell Burgess, who got hurt last week and is done for the year. Uh, another rookie safety, but. Uh, for those who don't remember, IR this season has been shortened to three weeks, so he could he could come back after the bye week. He'll be eligible. We just don't know if he'll be ready. But yeah, man. So a great performance by the defense. Uh, just to mention it because he's so good. We're numb to it. Aaron Donald put up his best career game according to Pro Football Focus grade wise, and forced a, a nice, very easy fumble on. On Tua, and I think my favorite play of the game was when, they, like, they ran wildcat for one play, had a little success, tried to run it again, and Aaron Donald just sacked whatever non-quarterback was playing quarterback in like half a second, just like got right in the backfield, tackled this guy, he just starts shaking his head. It was, uh, I, I loved it. It was such a cool moment. Yeah, it was. It was very entertaining because uh, Donald. I mean, we gush on the guy every year, or every game, because he's just that damn good. And just when you think that Aaron Donald is done impressing you, um, he just does some incredible shit that you'd never thought that you would see from a defensive tackle. And yet, there he is, continuing and... And I, I imagine as the season goes along, we'll, we'll probably see uh, more guys or, or more plays from uh, Aaron Aaron Donald. So uh, good luck, quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, let's preface this by I know it, it for a lot of people, it's going to feel like a stressful day, uh, no matter the outcome of this election. So if you want good vibes only today. You probably don't want to listen to the rest of the podcast, uh, but it's going to be entertaining, I think, hopefully. Uh, so let's let's go to the offensive side of the ball in this game. Uh, Do we have to? <laughs> so, Johnny, here we go. 470 total yards. Uh, Jared Goff threw for 355. Cooper Cup at 110 receiving yards. Uh, Robert Woods had 85 yards, and, and uh, Cam Akers played. Played a little pretty well. Uh, Daryl Henderson was av- average 5.9 yards per carry. And we throw all this out because this was easily the worst offensive performance the team has had all year. That includes a Giants game. Uh, in the first half, which just... Like, like who, who, who should we shit on first? Should we shit on Sean McVay first or should we shit on Jared Goff? I, I, you know what? I'm just going to say. I think we have to start with McVay because I think this... Like he's he in and we talked about how uh, Kevin and I last week talked about how it's just frustrating watching him do some things because he's clearly so brilliant at at, uh, at understanding and coaching the game of football. Uh, he is in his fourth season. He he has the potential clearly to be one of the best coaches to ever coach in the National Football League, and yet occasionally you'll just get just shit like this game. Just, we saw it in the Super Bowl where Bill Belichick clearly had everything we were going to do on offense figured out from the first play, and he just didn't try and switch it up. We, We didn't change anything. We didn't adapt. Now, in that game... And I mean, maybe my my memory is just fading me because I've kind of wiped that game out from existence. Like we didn't really have uh, the turnovers in that game, right? Because the the pay, it was three to three going into the fourth quarter. Uh, I think it was just both offenses couldn't do anything. Yeah, it wasn't. Um, if there was turnovers, there probably wasn't many, and it wasn't. It was as much justified as a turnover can be. And in this game, there was just, I mean, I lost count of how many turnovers there were in this game just because it was that awful. There were, there were four, there were four turnovers and three of them directly resulted in touchdowns. It was, uh, it's just like, 
you could any they any time they lined up in empty in this game, and I'm pre, I'm pretty positive at least two of the turnovers came out of empty formations. It was just so clearly not going to work, and the Dolphins were bringing the rush. They were playing cover zero, so it like I don't know if it's Jared Goff's job or I believe it's Jared Goff's. What am I even saying? He doesn't. He doesn't deserve his name pronounced correctly. JG um, should be calling the running back back into the backfield to block if, if he sees that coming, which he should. It was coming every time. But why the fuck are we running out of this formation after the first turnover? They should have stopped. And the game. There was a lot of reasons we lost this game, but the game was essentially lost. We lost all fucking momentum when the Rams got the ball. First and goal at Miami 7. Line up in an empty formation on second and goal. Jared Goff gets sacked, obviously. Fumbles the ball, and Miami returns it for a touchdown. And uh, that that basically set off a firestorm for the rest of the quarter where the Dolphins scored 21 unanswered points. Uh, they actually scored 28 in the game, but that was really just... That just, that just set off set the whole chicha on motion. We lost all momentum from there. We never got it back. Miami scored a punt return touchdown on the next drive. Like, sure, that shit happens. We'll we'll get to it later. But just like some of the shit you see from from McVay with these formations, where it's just like you could see coming from a mile away that this shit's not going to work, and he, he's just not he's not changing. You know, it's like. When I, when I play Madden, uh, I have, like, three plays that work. And if I'm playing somebody that knows I'm going to run these plays, uh, then I'm going to throw interceptions because he knows exactly what's going to happen, and he knows exactly how to stop it. But, you know, if, if that happens to me, I would probably try and do something different and win the game in a different way. But it's just multiple times with McVay, and this game was probably the worst example of it because you saw – uh, it wasn't just offense; the offense not being successful. And look, if the offense just straight up wasn't successful, but not turning the ball over, we probably win this game. But just the turnovers, man, and, and just it, it, what, like you said, everything that went wrong for the Rams could have went wrong. I don't. E- I don't even know if I agree. I feel like this is a game that they could have easily won had they not made a handful of mistakes, and they were all. Like, the Dolphins forced their hands, but every one of these turnovers was just garbage. Like, it just, it wasn't the, the it was the Dolphins running good schemes, but you you should have been able to adapt to these. The two interceptions by Goff were horrible. Uh, the fumbles, you know, I'll give him a little pass there because these were his first two lost fumbles of the year. It was a big problem last year, and he more, and he, at least until this game, had it fixed, but... Just you get sacked on a, like a seven man blitz out of empty. Like what the fuck did you expect to happen, man? And another empty, they threw an interception because God got the ball, stared at his receiver the whole time, had to throw a quick, threw a quick. Defensive back saw it coming from a mile away. It was just like it was unbelievable, man. And you, it's just so frustrating to see from a guy who we all respect so much that he just he he just comes out and does this. And another big culprit. Um, you know, it's like parody at this point. Anyone on Twitter, when Daryl Henderson starts running the ball well, you're like, oh, Daryl Henderson starting off hot. Looks like he won't touch the ball for the rest of the game. And they come out of the gate with two running plays that are are successful. They're, they're good running plays. And we, we get a first down, and they throw three incomplete passes in a row. It's just like a joke at this point. Like it's like it's like he's just trying to make make somebody laugh with these sick, twisted, repetitive jokes, and I don't think it's fucking funny. I'm not having fun. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I don't know if I can add too much more to that because it's pretty much how I feel. Um, I I think one of the most frustrating aspects of this is exactly how Steve mentioned is we know the offensive guru that you know Sean McVay can can be and he wasn't showing any of it he he looks like a predictable 
I, I mean, he was almost Jeff Fisher-like in a way. It was a very uh, I mean, Jeff gonna... Fisher-esque game, and he should be compared. He deserves it after this game. Uh, this was a Jeff Fisher-type offensive performance. It was the games where uh, it was the opposite, where the Rams would come out and the defense would stack nine guys in the box, and we would just run Todd Gurley up into the middle, and he'd lose yards, like the most predictable shit ever. Uh, it was a very Jeff Fisher. It, what, what was our, What was that garbage OC we had? Rob Boris was that the guy we had? Yeah, it was a Rob Boris s called game. Honestly, I I hate saying yeah. that, but it was. No, it really was. It was. What was I think most frustrating out of all of this is you have three. Okay. L- let me rephrase that. You have two capable backs, uh, running backs, and one potentially capable running back in Cam Akers. Now, obviously, things weren't working in the passing game because, you know, they they didn't figure out right away that you're going to have to protect Goff. So, instead of allowing the game to be transitioned between, you know, passing the ball and running the ball. They just, he just continuously did the same things over and over. What's particularly frustrating is when you have running backs that were succeeding. Now I understand Daryl Henderson, uh, you know, went out for a bit due to an injury, Yes, but, you but, had, but he got hurt. Like he, he was questionable return. Just, just to correct you, so you can accurately shit on this team. He was out <laughs> the second half, so like the game was already in hand at that point. True, it's true. And but the other thing is too, how are you going to do a, a proper committee when you're, you're not even running a committee at this point? You're giving more. You're giving more handoffs to Henderson, who obviously deserves them. You're giving some to Malcolm Brown, which, okay, fine. But Brown should not be getting the bulk of the carries here. He shouldn't. There's absolutely no reason why he should. And unless, for whatever reason, if Malcolm Brown is dominating, fine. Give him the rock. Fine. But Malcolm Brown ideally is a guy... That should be a third down back. Uh, maybe go go more Brown in the in the red zone. Cam Akers, we're never gonna know what we have in Cam Akers if we don't get him the ball. He was basically given the ball mostly. I believe it was in the second quarter, if I'm not mistaken. Second half. Um, after after Henderson went out, he he carried it quite a bit. He had he had nine carries in the day for 35 yards so he he looked he looked pretty good i would love for him to get all of malcolm brown's carries but i don't think it's gonna happen that that was my issue was we we basically saw him for a series and then we never saw him again um at least not anything meaningful anyway you know you kind of need more more than just kind of nine carries. This is why it, it's so odd to me because I felt like the Rams were heading in the right direction before Cam Akers got injured. You know, they were getting him touches, and now Akers is off the face of the earth unless garbage time happens or um, unless there's an injury. And I just I don't understand why they're so hesitant to give him the ball. You know, I can totally understand if Akers was making some terrible mistakes, like if he fumbled the ball multiple times, but he hasn't. So why not feed him the ball a little bit more? Um, Why not give Henderson more of a shot? Uh, Again, injury happened, so I guess that's something to look at. But overall, the imbalance of this game was ridiculous. The predictability was beyond ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to be predictable, at least run the ball. You know, something that was actually working for a little while. 
I'm just, it, I don't it know. Was, it was, like, before Henderson uh, got hurt, it, it was working, clearly. And I think, oh, like, more or less on the day, uh, they averaged four and a half yards a carry. So, I mean, that's not bad at all. Uh, it, it was it was clearly working for most of the game, and and that that's what was so frustrating, man. It's just they had something that was working, and you know what wasn't working? Anything Jared Goff did when he dropped back to pass. So like I I, I just don't understand why he would move away from that just 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 so quickly, uh, and and just so simply. It was like. You you could tell I think from the second drive that or we scored on the second drive maybe the third drive that Jared Goff was not going to have a good game. It seemed very obvious, and for for you to not only let for you to not only just commit more harder to the running game, but to just continue to let him drop back and pass when it, you know as a result we turn we. <laughs> We turn the drive. We turn the ball over on. Well, I, I'm I'm trying to do the math here. We turn the drive over on four out of six possessions, and it was all Jared Goff. Every every one of the turnovers was Jared Goff. Uh, and and the the pump the punts or sorry the fumbles were part of his fault. I believe one of them he held on the ball a little too bit long. He stepped up. He got it poked out, uh, and he lost it. It was just, man, it was it was really fucking frustrating to watch, uh, and I hated every minute of it. Uh, I did not have any fun watching this game after the first quarter. I I, I don't blame you at all, man. <laughs> I just I don't blame you. And, and just golf too, man. Like it's like 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 I feel like if if Jared Goff. If if you handed him a a Frogger game and you said get to the other side of the road, he'd only be able to get to the other side of the road if every car on the road just stopped moving, like the game glitched and he could just walk around everything. Because this this guy who is like equal like McVeigh is frustrating because of how good he's looked at time. It feels like whenever he faces some adversity, whenever he doesn't have a clean pocket, he just sucks. Like, he's just terrible. And that might be an overreaction, but we've seen it countless times. We saw it a lot last year. We saw it towards the end of the 2018 season. We mentioned McVay in the Super Bowl. Uh, it's like like they're a pair, and when one of them's bad, the other one's even worse. And it, it was the Super Bowl. It was this game. It was plenty of games last year. It's just like these turnovers, while part of the problem was the schemes we were running and the play calls, he shouldn't have turned the ball over on almost every one of these. It could have been avoided. And had we had we just taken care of the ball, uh, there was plenty of things we could have done better. But had we just not turned the ball over, I feel like this would have been like the Giants game. We probably would have won like 17 to 10 or something like that. I mean, literally, 21 points as a direct result off of turnovers. It was all the offense they got was on turnovers. They had more total yards Johnny on the fumble return touchdown and on the punt return touchdown than they had in the entire game on offense it's just we we completely handed this one away and I mean like I'm not the, the special teams well we'll talk about a little bit at the end of the pod uh I, w- I was pretty frustrating as well but even if that punt return touchdown doesn't happen we still lose the game because of the other fucking turnovers that directly resulted in points every tough John they had besides the punt return was a direct result of our offense shooting itself in the foot uh and it's just it's just like it's bad man you're not gonna win doing this in the NFL against any type of competent team uh and the Dolphins offense as we said did nothing it didn't matter we just handed them the game we could have taken a knee three times in a row uh on on the fumble by Miles Gaskin, and we would have been better off because, well, I don't know. Maybe we would have just shanked the field goal. I have no fucking idea. But it would have been better than the result that happened, which was we turned the ball over and they scored a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the absolute sad truth to all of this is, you know, you can't, I mean, the special teams really did fail 
um, in multiple ways. But at the end of the day, it was because of the turnovers on offense. And while I'm more inclined to to um, basically blame Sean McVay in this game, I will say Goff had to have a share of blame as well. He made some pretty poor decisions, and I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he was the entire problem because he wasn't. Um, in fact, I wouldn't say he was the majority of the problem either. That, to me, belongs to McVay. But before people call out for for uh, Jared Goff's head, keep in mind that he's had some pretty good games this year too. He has, yeah. And for the most part, I mean, he, he's been good, but you deliver something like as as bad as this uh it's it just sucks to watch you know we'll we'll see how the year plays out but you you can't be giving away games like this and and it's on both of them uh you rank who's most responsible for this loss it's Sean McVay 1 and Sherrick Goff 2 and then probably a pretty big gap you know Gerald Everett played like shit he dropped a couple passes but ultimately his drop passes didn't result in Dolphins touchdowns all of Jared Goff's mistakes did. Uh, his, his QBR was 12.8. Lower than Tua's. Tua was a 25. That's not good. Uh, it's just, like, man, it just sucked. It, it really sucked. And it's like, it, like as we've said, I, I love Sean McVay. I like Jared Goff. Sometimes these guys look like the next Belichick and Tom Brady. Then we'll get games like this. They look like the next Brian Schottenheimer and Sean Hill. It's just like, the fuck are you guys doing? What what are we doing here? How do you how does it go this wrong, just out of nowhere? How are we this inconsistent? Sean McVay, Jared Goff. If by some miracle you're listening, can you please <laughs> not suck anymore? Because Steve keeps bringing up these bad memories, and I don't like it. I feel like I could have gone worse than those. No. Brian Schottenheimer somehow still has a job. Is he still the offensive coordinator in Seattle? I think he is. Well, yeah, I guess as it uh, as it turns out, you he only needs – how long has he been there? He's only been there for three years. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I mean, he's, he's blessed with riches that he did not have over there. Uh, I do not miss him. But, yeah, I mean mm-hmm. – we we talked about the running backs. Like Cam Akers looked pretty good in limited work. Daryl Henderson giving the ball as much as you can. We're not giving him the ball enough. He's our best player, not our best player on offense, but he's one of them. Cooper Cup was targeted twenty one times. Like what? Like, like we had four players with over nine targets in this game. Miami had one player with over five targets. It's just it's funny how much they threw the ball. Uh, Jared got through it sixty one times. You're never going to win when he throws the ball 61 times. I I saw a stat that he's thrown the ball over 50 times, I think like four times in his career, which first of all is insane. And second of all, we lost every one of those games. I think we are <laughs> – don't quote me on the stat. I think this is what I saw, and I think Blaine, Blaine Grissick put this stat out. It was uh, – I think he's 2-5 and five when he throws the ball over 40 times. Uh, and then obviously they lost four times when he went over 50. So, yeah, I hope I never see anything like this again. But unfortunately, I'm, we might. We might. It's not uh, It's not out of the realm of possibility. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, got, we got to talk about the special teams. It's just... What I hate about the special teams unit is for for almost a decade, and I think I've said this in the pod before, for almost a decade under John Fossil, we were arguably the best special teams unit in the league. We had the best punter in the league. We had one of the best kickers in the league. Uh, we, we, we called fake punts every now and then. We had a pretty good success rate on them. We, we didn't really give up return touchdowns that often i'm sure we gave them up a bunch or a handful of times but now look at look at us now like we still have johnny ecker he's still killing it but we can't buy a fucking field goal they're never i like how how i how many times honestly do you think they're going to take a field goal over 50 50 yards this year 
Like, I, I can't imagine them ever doing it again because they're so scarred from what they've seen in the first couple of weeks. Granted, the uh, the Kai Forbath kick that he missed, it, it was it was truly the most disgusting field goal I've ever seen uh, from an NFL kicker. But at the same time, it probably wouldn't have mattered. It, we probably still would have lost if he made that. It would have made it an eight-point game. We're not scoring. We're not scoring in this game. And just, I, I know it's like, like punt return touchdowns happen, but so many opportunities in that punt return to tackle uh, Jakeem Grant. They just didn't. And it's just, it's like the sum of a whole parts. We, we used to not have to worry at all about special teams. Yeah, Zerline would miss a couple field goals every now and then. He did lose us a game. He didn't lose us a game, but uh, we could have been in Seattle and he missed a field goal at the end of the game. But we're not even trying 50-yard field goals, really. Like, we don't even consider it. And we had Zerline, if it was 4th and 12 and we could line up for 58-yard field goal, we could try it because his problem wasn't his his leg strength. It was his accuracy, and he was still fairly accurate. So it's just that's just another weapon we don't have is the option to kick field goals at that range. And I mean, in this game, this particular game, we probably would have tried a couple 60-yarders because they, they, the Dolphins' offense wasn't going to score. So it's like uh, I miss Zerline and I miss John Fossil, and I just – it. We're just like a joke now on special teams. All we can do do well is punt. Yeah, that's pretty much what it's come down to. And <laughs> four bats, field goal. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell happened there. Um, to his credit, I'm not entirely sure why you settle for a field goal there. Um. Uh, you know what, Johnny? I will defend Sean McVay there. Get the points on the board because, you, you, like, I don't know. Yeah, you're in a position to kick a field goal. If you think you can make a 48-yarder, make it a one-score game. Uh, you're still going to have to get the ball back and get a drive no matter what. I'd rather get the three points, have a shot to win later. Uh, because, I mean, how how much more frustrating would that have been if he missed it at the end of the game? Uh, I mean, well, not that that's see, how you should look at it, but. This is why I felt like he should have went for uh, went for it on fourth down. I understand it wasn't like a close fourth fourth down to attempt. But at the same time, what what the fuck did they have to lose? You know, they <laughs> yeah. they they were going up against a terrible offense anyway. It's not like the defense couldn't have stopped them. And on top of all of that. One of the things that's known about Kai Forbath, while I'm not making any excuses for the guy, he's never been known to having a huge leg. So while 48 yards may not seem like much, because we've had guys like Greg Zerloin who can, you know, boot the ball no problem, for a lot of kickers in the league, even 48 yards is pretty far. Well, his, so, his attempt wouldn't have gone in from 20 yards. No, no, I wouldn't have. But but that's my point, though. Why try it, you know? You know your kicker is not reliable. Go for it. What the hell do you have to lose? I It's just I, at that point, you know, and in most cases, I would definitely agree with your approach. But there was just so many different factors there that it's like, what the hell? Why not? Just do it. And if it makes you feel better, I think I am in the minority on this take. Uh, from what I read on Twitter, most people didn't agree with the call like like you're not. But I don't know. It, to me, it felt right in the moment. But ultimately, it didn't, it didn't matter. It just no. – I could not – my eyes just – they. I could see my brain because of how far they rolled into the back of my head after that field goal attempt, just to how, <laughs> how horrible it was. Well, <sighs> I was actually kind of happy he made it into the little camera booth. <laughs> what the fuck um, happened? Did we find out what happened on that field goal? Did he no, just straight I, up shank? Like, I, how do you even kick it? Like, if you're an NFL kicker, how do you even do that? I'm not sure. I don't think even Kai Forbath has an answer for you, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he does. Uh, and he, prob- he probably didn't have a post-game press conference. No, uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, God. So, I mean, look ahead a little. We don't have a game next week, so we, we don't have anything to talk about there. But we're going to the bye. We're 5-3. and three. We are still the seventh seed, luckily, because, um, and I mentioned this on last week's pod, that, that Bears game is a huge win for the tiebreakers because they're probably going to be in the mix, even though, like, we could, I mean, let's be real, both us and the Bears could just fall off a cliff in the second half of the season based on what we've seen so far. But we hold the seven seed, and it's seven seven teams in the playoffs now, for those who forgot. We hold the seven seed over the over the Bears. Um, and also one thing that's going to bode well for us in tiebreakers, like I mentioned, we're 5-1 and one in the conference because we swept the NFC East. So we got to pick up a couple more wins in the division, and hopefully we can grab a win against T- Tampa Bay and... Who, who's our other out of division opponent? Um, I have the schedule up, and I was just on the wrong tab. Oh, the Bears, who we already beat. So yeah, hopefully we can pick up win against Tampa Bay. Hopefully we can get some wins in division. But you know, we come out of the bye week, and our schedule is Seattle at Tampa Bay, home against the Forty ers at the Cardinals. Now I think. Would you agree, Johnny? We have enough evidence at this point to say that the the Cardinals are good. I think we clearly have that. Uh, yeah, I would say that they are good. Um, with a few shortcomings, but we'll get to that when we cross that road. Why? Why do you got to do Kyler Murray like that? He's not that um, short. <laughs> you know, I wasn't even going that route, but. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love Kyler. I think one of our worst takes in 2020 might have been that we said we'd take Jared Goff over him, uh, but <laughs> we'll revisit that later on. Um, yeah, they're clearly good. Now, on a positive for us is the 49ers are falling off a cliff injury-wise. They might not have both George Kittle. They definitely won't have George Kittle, and they probably won't have Garoppolo when we play them in, what is that, week 12? So that's a positive, even though they whooped our ass last time, it's shaping up like a game that we should win. And now for the most part, we have beaten teams. We should beat. maybe we should beat Miami, but they're not the worst. The Patriots are a joke. They're, they're, they are really falling off a cliff and uh, the Jets might literally be 0 and 14 or 0 and 13 when we play them. So on the positive side, we should have three wins at least. For the rest of the season, but on the negative, we have see the other the other five games are Seattle, Tampa Bay, Arizona, Seattle, Arizona, and we have to win some of those games to make the playoffs. We're probably not getting in the playoffs at eight and eight if we drop all five of those games. And at nine and seven, we'll see. It'll depend how competitive teams are. Like you know, as we mentioned, the Bears, San Francisco, Detroit. Luckily, a lot of those teams are, are fading quickly near the bottom of the conference, but there's still a lot of season left, so it, it's too early to tell. But, like, we, we ideally, we want we to go... We, we would want to go, what, 5-3 five, five in that stretch, so we finished 10-6, and six, and I, I don't feel good about it. After after what we've seen in the season so far, it, I don't know how you could feel good that we're going to win a couple games against the likes of Arizona, Seattle, and Tampa Bay. You know, it's just in our divisional games, you always step up, but at the same time, so is the other team. But I don't I don't know, man. It is really ugly so far, and, and we'll see. Tampa Bay is a flaky team. I'm pretty sure they have been struggling with the the Giants tonight. Which is like not not ideal, uh, I, but I don't know, man. I think because they added the seventh playoff spot, I I still feel pretty good about our playoff chances. But it's we got to win at least one of those games, you know. And and this team needs to be better for that to happen. Couldn't agree more. There's there's still a lot of football left for the Rams to still make the playoffs, but they don't have a lot of wiggle room either basically if they if they lose really any of their divisional 
um, matchups, it, it comes to the point where like there's no way this team makes it. So the the Rams just got to win at this point. They just they need to win. And you know the defense has been playing great, but you know to play devil's advocate there, we've played against two good offenses this year, and one of them was Dallas. Like they they've been taking care of business against all these not great teams, but we're we're talking about Russell Wilson, we're talking about Tom Brady, we're talking about Kyler Murray. It's different animals. We're talking about DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin, uh, Chris Carson. You know, fucking Gronk is having a little comeback year. It's like we're going to play. These are clearly the best offenses we're playing so far, with the possible exception of Buffalo. Um, and I, I'm, I'm nervous for, for how we handle these teams. Uh, luckily, Seattle's defense has been uh, pretty terrible, so hopefully we can attack and do well, but I mean, after this game, I don't know if we can do that. Uh, we haven't really had uh, an offensive explosion in a while, like in, in a couple of weeks. The last time we scored 30 points was Washington uh, four weeks ago, and I mean, that, that, that game was... It, we would have had to do. I, we would probably would have had to turn the ball over twelve times to lose that game. Uh, I don't know, but luckily, like, and, and to wrap it up, I guess on a on a positive, five and three going into the bye is is a good record. It's a good record to have. We have work to do, but luckily, we were able to beat the Giants in a game that we could have lost. We were able to beat the Bears in a game that we could have lost. Uh, so. It, we're we're in good shape record wise. If we could just get our shit together, we should be in the playoffs. Now, can this team go deep into the playoffs today? No, but is the talent there to do it? Sure. So we'll we'll, we'll see. There's a lot of work to be done, but uh, we could be in worse shape. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, there's no doubt that the Rams have the talent. Now it's just time to put up or shut up. Yep. All right. Well, luckily, uh, not luckily, but uh, we can enjoy some football stress-free on Sunday. So that's nice. (laughs) No Rams. We can easily say that the Rams didn't lose this week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they are. We already can can count that in. And hopefully, you know, the Packers beat the 49ers. Maybe the Bills beat the Seahawks. Maybe the <laughs> maybe the Dolphins beat the Cardinals. But uh, I got to say, the only thing that could ruin my Sunday is if the Cardinals blow out the Dolphins. And just like, <laughs> uh, that would be rough. That would hurt. But, but what happens if the Dolphins dominate the Cardinals? What, what then? <laughs> it would, like... Honestly, like, can you like if they win that game? I mean, we are. I think pretty much everybody on the planet agrees that the NFC West is the best division in the league. And if the Dolphins manage to beat the Cardinals, they will be three and zero against our division. Like, that's fucking insane. Or sorry, sorry, three and one. They already played Seattle, but still, that would still be nuts. Yeah, completely. So. I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, on it, like, this obviously isn't a Dolphins podcast, but you look at their schedule after they play the Cardinals, which is obviously a tough game. They get the Chargers, Broncos, Jets, Bengals all in a row. Then they get the Chiefs, tough game. And they get the Patriots, Raiders, Bills. Now, obviously, there's some tough games in that stretch, but I mean, if if they take care of business in that four game stretch against the Chargers, Broncos, Jets, and Bengals, and manage to, even, even if they just win those four games and beat the Patriots later in the year, they're 9-7, and seven, assuming they lose all the other games, they'll be in the mix. They might be in the playoffs. The Dolphins really might be in the playoffs this year. There you have it. <laughs> all right. 
Uh, so we'll be back next week. Stay on the lookout for more pods from the team this week. And follow us on Twitter at Steve Ribeiro, at Johnny5.6, and at Talk Rams. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that We're going to see him soon. You feel me? type of drama where else does history hang from the rafters Jalen Brown throws it down. where else is your own city home to your biggest rival the battle of the lane is real people and 30 feet is still in range Hurry, where else can a city this loud be this slept on where else is history still in the making oh my goodness. where else the NBA only here season begins December 22nd on ABC ESPN TNT and NBA TV You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.